Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. In this episode, we're going to focus on two unique concepts. From classic psychology, we're going to pull in boundaries, which we've touched on before. And from alternative psychology, we're going to look at anchoring, which we've also looked at before. So let's begin and look at triggers. Triggers are something that sets something off. You know, you pull the gun trigger and the bullet comes out. Or the classic Hollywood booby trap. You've got a guy that's walking through the jungle. He trips a wire. That wire is connected to a huge log. The log drops down. It's connected to the net where the people are standing on. The net goes up and they're caught. Think Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. Now, all of these things rely on the initial event, which is the trigger. This is so pertinent to psychology because once we are aware that we can set things off, it becomes an unconscious process and becomes much easier to do. It all starts with using a trigger. In psychology, we can install triggers. And as I said at the start, this is through either anchoring or boundaries. So anchoring, as I mentioned a couple of times already, is just so essential. Anchoring is when you get yourself in your peak state. And when you're in your peak state, you bring all of your best parts to bear and you'll be able to deal with whatever's in front of you. So just very briefly, if you think back to a time when you were at your peak state, perhaps you were presenting to a group and it went down extremely well, just remember how you stood up confidently or how you would have liked to stand up confidently if you don't have this reference experience. Think about that. Think about your body language, the way that you spoke, the way you move, how you look. Now make it bigger and brighter. If you haven't had this reference experience, make it so you're looking at a, a Tony Robbins who, or whoever. Make it more brilliant. Make him taller. Make him more louder. Make him more charismatic. Watch his confidence. Watch how suave he is. See how he carries himself and presents himself. And then when it's at the peak state, if you're that person, then squeeze your thumb and your forefinger together and say, yes, or go and step inside that picture so you take on all the attributes of the person you've been looking at. Squeeze your thumb and finger together and say yes. And once you're in that state, you can feel that confidence that just resonates. And once you're resonating with this confidence, everything just works better. So you know about anchoring. Awesome. The next concept is boundaries. Boundaries are so essential because what we do is we have boundaries already in our day-to-day -day interactions. For example, if you go to work and somebody is physically aggressive, then you probably have some sort of boundary where you're not going to let that happen. And if those boundaries are really weak, maybe you'll put up your arms and shield yourself from being attacked if it's physical. Maybe if you've got great boundaries, you'll take a step back and be in a ready position to take on whatever comes your way. Whatever it is, these are boundaries. But the problem is most people set these up unconsciously. 
So a less extreme example, as opposed to self-defense at work, is, is taking compliments. A lot of the people I work with, they just find that there's a big problem in taking praise. And this comes with a lifetime of repression and all sorts of other things. So one thing that we can do that you could do right now, if you don't have that already, is just have a, a compliment trigger that really works really well. That basically what happens is that if somebody says anything to you that's a positive compliment, not sarcastic, anything that's, that's complimentary, your immediate reaction is not deflection, it's not to say it's nothing, it's not to gloat about it, it's just immediately to say, oh, thanks for that, or whatever you've come up with, and it comes out as a trigger. So why did I include that in the boundary section? Because when we set up boundaries, it works on the same principle. If we have a boundary that nobody is allowed to, say, disrespect us, unconsciously we have set up these triggers where we act in a set way. But if we're conscious about it and we are intentional, then we can decide what we do and what will happen next. It's just being strategic. So if somebody is going to insult you, what are you going to do? You're going to go through your mind and think about all the responses and, and give a, a slope instead of a quick, as, as they say on Seinfeld, and just watch it all fall apart? Or are you going to go with something that wakes you up in the middle of the night and say, oh, I should have said that? A far better thing is to set a boundary, to plan, to think about what would happen if somebody said this to me. And so if anybody says anything that's disrespectful to you, you can decide what your best strategy is before it happens. Once you've set that up, make it so it's automatic. So just run through it a few times and just make it so you're telling yourself, if somebody ever does this, this is my immediate response. Now, obviously, you have to be discerning with this. But if you can do this properly, it works wonders. I know that I saw this guy ages ago. And I, not that I'm recommending this, but it works super effective. And he had this, this rule that whenever he was insulted, he would do this Terminator stare. So what this is all about is the person who was negative towards him, he wouldn't actually move his head. He would just look at the person with his eyes only. And then following that, his face and head would turn to look at the person while his eyes are on the person. Now, if you can visualize that, it's a very mechanical Arnold Schwarzenegger-like move from the Terminator where it just it kind of is impactful. And whenever he'd do that, people would just say, well, this is, this is crazy, and he'd get a great reaction from it. So as I said, be discerning, but basically what I want you to do is set up some boundaries. Decide what you will stand for. Like I said, we've talked about this in past episodes. And then once you've set up a boundary, go through what your response would be if someone violates or crosses that boundary. And then rehearse that a few times mentally and then make it so it's a trigger. Now, a couple more tips is one, make sure that whatever you're doing, that you make it realistic. So if somebody is, look, I know it sounds so negative going back to being insulted all the time, but it just pays to be prepared. But if somebody does insult you, then you're not going to come back with this triad of insults and all this bad negativity that you just probably wouldn't have the confidence to pull off. Or maybe you do, I don't know. But perhaps you could use some sort of humour, whatever suits you. 
So set up the boundary, make it so it's automatic, and then you've got your trigger installed. Triggers can be used for so many other things. Triggers, uh, when we like put on our clothes for the day, we can imagine that as we take off our our clothes that we're sleeping in, we can say, all right, we're getting rid of that part of the day. And as we put on the next part, we're saying, all right, I've got the work clothes on, I'm feeling the professional mode set in. When you're showering, you can wash off all of the bad negativity of the day. And during daily activities, you can say, all right, this is, this is reminding me to do X, Y, and Z. Don't go overboard. If this doesn't suit you, then just don't do it. But absolutely try it because some of these things automated make a massive difference. And if you are going to do it, I would strongly suggest use focus and attention to detail for one to four weeks of this process. After that, then do it weekly for a few weeks and then monthly thereafter. And if you find that things are slipping off, then just go back and do it a bit more frequently. Life is for living. You don't want to do this stuff all the time. You don't want to get caught in the self-help trap. But there is a season to focus on it and you have to give it the attention it deserves earlier on. So the big question is, why bother with all this? Well, apart from the obvious where we know that we all need to change, we have to deal with situations as they come, we have to be mindful that we can only focus on about half a dozen things at any point in time. And... We must make use of our conscious efforts very, very intentionally because we don't have that much conscious attention. And so each thing that we do requires focus, attention and time and it's quite hard to habituate it unless if it's automatic. If it's automatic, there's no mental lag. It's, it's amazing and you get hooked on the results. So once you've set it up in your mind, you make it so you've got a trigger, you make it so it's habitual, you have that metacognition process that I keep talking about, thinking about thinking, then it becomes a part of you at the level of identity and you get amazing results. So finally, as always, one, be discerning, two, evaluate and reflect on the process and three, meditate on the successes to build on further successes. If you are a hunter, you can go for the stalk and still cover your bases by having traps set so it increases your chance of success. By focusing on your goals and setting traps in the forms of boundaries and anchoring, life is really easy. However, unexpected things may arise. In past weeks, we had covered death, life and time and our next guest is here to show us how to pursue your goals even in the face of adversity. And in his case, he actually had a stroke. Here's Bill. You know, I tried to visualize myself watching a storm roll across a lake in Montana. Or I tried to visualize myself laying in a prison cell in an alien spaceship while somebody was doing major mechanical work and using a hammer on the hull. But it didn't work. 
I spent the next 20 minutes or so shoved into an MRI machine, wondering why such an expensive and precise piece of medical equipment was making such horrible grinding and clunking noises as I did my best not to develop claustrophobia. You see, the stroke I had had a few hours earlier was about to complicate my life enough. According to recent studies, 25% or one in four Americans over the age of 25 will have a stroke in their lives. Roughly 20% of them will not survive their stroke. Stroke is the number one cause of long-term disability in the U.S. and the fifth leading cause of death. And 80% of strokes are preventable. I'm Bill Monroe. I'm a sales trainer, technology evangelist, writer, speaker, host of the StrokeCast podcast, the Two Minute Talk Tips podcast, and a stroke survivor. Over the next few minutes, I want to tell you a little bit about pursuing goals and some of the lessons I've learned. First, though, what happened that day? June 3rd, 2017 was a Saturday. I woke up at 7 a.m., which I really had no business doing on a Saturday morning. But I got up to use the bathroom, and my left arm wasn't quite working right. I figured I slept on it funny and that it would wake up shortly. It didn't. I made it to the bathroom and had more and more trouble walking and then standing. I looked in the mirror, and my face didn't look quite right. It was drooping on the left side and I knew I was in trouble. So I made my way back to the bedroom, woke up my girlfriend, and told her I think I need an ambulance. She called 911, grabbed my glasses, wallet, and phone, while I sat down on the floor to wait for the ambulance. It would be another month before I came home again. The ambulance took me to the hospital, and the paramedics wheeled me inside. We paused briefly as the nurses slapped a hospital ID bracelet on my wrist, stuck in an IV, and then wheeled me deeper into the hospital for a CT scan. The rest of the day was more tests, an MRI, an ultrasound of my heart, and eventually another CT scan. You see, sometime the night before, a clot had formed in my right middle cerebral artery. That's the blood vessel that feeds the basal ganglia, which is the part of the brain that controls motion among a bunch of other things. Since we didn't know exactly when during the night it happened, there was no way to deal with that clot in the summer of 2017. I continued to lose function throughout the day as more and more cells starved to death, and by 3 p.m., I bottomed out with a zero control of my arm, leg, and a face that felt like half of it was filled with way too much Novocaine. A few days later... I began physical and occupational therapy to try to rewire my brain around that chunk of now dead tissue so I could learn to walk, dress myself, stand up, and basically do the things I last learned to do when I was a baby. Learning to use my legs again wasn't the only thing that I learned. That month was about rewiring my brain for physical reasons, sure, but it also gave me the opportunity to rethink and reset my mindset. You see, I've long believed that attitude is a decision, and attitude 
is everything. And at a surface level, that belief has served me well. But there's more nuance that I've since learned to work with. You see, a positive mindset or attitude is nice, and it may help, but ultimately, it gets you nothing. What I needed was an action-oriented attitude. There was work to be done, and I needed to do it. I wasn't there to relax. I was there to get better. You see, I don't like the word healing. It feels passive to me. Healing is something that happens to you. I needed to rewire my brain and recover. I needed to take effort and action to relearn how to do those things and to get the use of my limbs back. It wasn't going to happen to me. I needed to go out and do it. And when I left the hospital a month later, I had some limited shoulder movement. I was starting to be able to make a fist again, and I was able to walk slowly with a cane. But that wasn't the end of recovery. It was really just the beginning. I had in-home therapy and then outpatient therapy. One day, my physical therapist and outpatient picked up a set of multicolored plastic cones and set up a course for me to navigate. My goal was to walk from one end of the cones to the other without knocking them over. So, of course, I opted to walk to the left of the entire cone maze and bypass them. Apparently, that was considered cheating. I just thought of it more as my own Kobayashi Maru. Then, it was time to do it right. My first time through, I looked carefully at these cones as I took each tentative step, and I kept knocking them over again and again, until, for some reason, I thought back to the mid-90s, and it wasn't because I needed a fix of Alanis Morissette. You see, one weekend back in 1994, I had nothing to do, so I decided to take a motorcycle class. I'd seen an ad in the grocery store and thought, eh, why not? It was the first and still only time I've ever actually ridden a motorcycle. One thing they taught us in class was the trick to avoiding obstacles in the road. You see, when you encounter debris, vehicles, potholes, pedestrians, or whatever it is, don't look at them. If you look at them, you will hit them, and that is bad. You see, your brain will draw you towards the object of your attention. The trick is to see the path around the obstacles and focus on that. Focus on the path to your goal, to where you want to be, not on the obstacles in between you and that goal. You see, our brains are constantly rewiring themselves. It's why I've been able to get some use of my limbs back. It's a process called neuroplasticity. Part of the idea is that nerves that wire together, fire together. The more we do something, think about something, remember something, repeat something, repeat something, or focus on something, the deeper and more detailed the neural connections around that object will become. It's been fascinating for me to learn how the brain dedicates more space and more neural resources to the things we focus on and to the activities we do most often. This means that the more I focus on my obstacles, the more space my brain dedicates to those obstacles. 
And quite frankly, I don't have the brain space to spare for my obstacles. And the more it pulls me towards my obstacles. You see, the right action-oriented attitude and future-focused attitude is one way I can leverage the power of neuroplasticity in my everyday life. That's not to say the challenges aren't real or that I can completely ignore them. I mean, I can't use my left hand yet. I can't walk four miles an hour yet. I can't even cut my own steak yet. You see, yet is my favorite word. It's a powerful word. It's a magical word. There is a big difference between saying I can't use my left hand and saying I can't use my left hand yet. That one word is the difference between settling for my current limitations forever and doing the work it takes to get better. You see, the power of yet is about acknowledging the realities of today and doing what it takes to make things different tomorrow. When I looked at the path through those cones, instead of at the cones themselves, I was able to put my foot down between them and not knock over any of them for several laps. Whether it means safely riding a motorcycle, learning to use fingers, navigating through cones, changing a career, or achieving what you want, you will hit what you focus on. So after this episode, go ahead and pick up your phone and get on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or the platform of your choice and say to the world, I can't do something. Hashtag yet. Make, make your own declaration. Tell your network and your friends something you can't do today and follow it with the powerful word yet in big, bold type. Acknowledge your reality of today and make your plans to change your world for tomorrow. Write out the word yet on a post-it or a piece of paper and stick it somewhere that you can see it every day as a reminder to think about how you want tomorrow to be. If you focus on your obstacle, you will hit your obstacle. If you want to hit your goals instead, focus on the route around your obstacles and focus on the path to your goals and hit the thing that you focus on. My stroke was likely caused by about two years of high blood pressure. The leading causes of stroke are smoking, high blood pressure, and diabetes. So check your numbers, meet with your doctor, and get them under control. Also, learn how to recognize the signs someone may be having a stroke by remembering the phrase, be fast. Be fast. Balance eyes, face, arm, speech, and time. Sudden loss of balance. Sudden loss of vision or blurred vision or double vision or vision problems. You know, sudden facial drooping. Sudden inability to hold both arms out. Sudden slurred speech or difficulty finding words. All these things indicate a possible stroke. And the T is for time because time lost is brain lost. So call an ambulance immediately and get that person the treatment they need. Rapid treatment in a stroke is crucial to minimizing damage. If you'd like to learn more or connect with me, head on over to CurrentlySpeaking.com, where you'll find links to my Twitter profile, my LinkedIn, my podcasts, and other ways to connect. 
If you'd like to learn more, it's a Gen X stroke survivor explores rehab, recovery, the frontiers of neuroscience, and one-handed banana peeling. Be sure to check out the StrokeCast in your favorite podcast app or head straight on over to StrokeCast.com. Thanks a lot. I'm Bill Monroe. And remember, don't get best. Get better. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com.